Heavenly Father, we ask that you would teach us your word this morning so that our lips may continue to overflow with praise for yourself. Oh Lord, we pray that we would learn from your word about your goodness and Lord, we pray that we would then respond with praise and honour for one who is good. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning we continue our series in the book of Micah and we've been looking at how Micah has been preaching messages of condemnation for the people of Israel but also messages of hope uh, that he's been speaking about judgment but also salvation. And what is one of the chief problems that Micah has raised in Israel, one of the chief sins of the people of Israel? Well, it is the sins of the leaders of the people of Israel. He's been called to cry out again and again against poor leaders, poor leaders. And what is it in particular that the leadership of Israel is showing, uh, that they are impoverished with? Well, one of the things in particular is their lack of strength, their lack of strength to deal with the enemies that come against them. And we see this even hinted at in Micah chapter 5, verse 1, but we've seen it uh, coming through again and again uh, with the different enemies that are going to be coming against Israel. We see that the leaders are inadequate in dealing with them. But here we see in verse 1, Marshal your troops, O city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. The leaders of Israel cannot deal with a siege. And also we read the second part of Verse 1 of chapter 5, they will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. Uh, the leaders of Israel are weak. They cannot overcome a siege against the people and they cannot overcome even a rod being hit against their cheek. What else has Micah decried about the leaders of Israel? Well, it's their lack of righteousness. And we saw that particularly in chapter 3 a number of weeks ago. Chapter 3, a uh, and gives us a, a fairly long account of the way that the leaders are, are wicked people, that they lack righteousness. And one example is chapter 3, verse 11. Turn back there with me now. Chapter 3, verse 11. Micah says about the leaders of Zion, of Israel at that time, her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Here we see the wickedness of the leaders, that they are swayed by money. They are not interested in justice. They're interested in only feathering their own nests. And then what else does this mean? Well, it means that there's a lack of peace for Israel. It means that there's a lack of peace. If they are weak leaders, they're not strong, they can't overcome the enemies. And if they are unrighteous, then we understand that the people are people who are going to experience war and distress and anxiety and no peace. And we see that in chapter 3, verse 1. Look at the description of the people there because of the sins of their leaders. Chapter 3, verse 1, it says, uh, Then I said, Listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, should you not know justice, you who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones and eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin and break their bones in pieces, who chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot. Is that a people who knows peace? No. They're clearly people who have no peace. Uh, it is quite graphic language that is used to describe the distress of the people of Israel because of the sins of their leaders, the poor leaders that are ruling over Israel. So Micah has again and again decried the sins of the leaders and shown how poor they are. But does he have any solution to the problem? of poor leadership in Israel? Well, the answer is yes. 
And we see that marvelously depicted in chapter 5 of Micah. Chapter 5 of Micah, where we see that God will get a ruler from Bethlehem, Ephrathah. We see that in verse 2 of Micah chapter 5. It says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Now, why will this ruler from Bethlehem be better? Well, will he be a strong ruler? I mean, that's what the problem with the rulers currently in Israel is, is that they're weak. Yes, this ruler will be strong. What sort of strength will he have? Well, we read in verse 4. Verse 4 of Micah chapter 5. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. Will he be strong? Yes. He will have the strength of God, and there is no better strength than his. And it even seems that he will have some sort of supernatural strength if we look at verse 2. Verse 2, it says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. This one who will come from Bethlehem seems to have existed before his emergence from Bethlehem. And this description of being from of old, this word that is translated there from the Hebrew, it's a word that is used to describe God, to describe God's eternal being. And so it seems that this ruler, he will be strong, because he will have some sort of supernatural power and many would take that from this text we see that this Messiah, this person who is to come, this ruler, he will be divine. He will be God himself. So will he be strong? Yes, this ruler will be better than the rulers that Micah has been crying out against because he will have great strength. But will this ruler be righteous? Will he be righteous? Yes, he will. How do we know he will be righteous? Because he will come for God. We see that in verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. This person will be righteous because he will be for God. Not for himself, but for God. And then we see that he will be one who is righteous by the way that he behaves. In verse 4, he will stand and shepherd his flock. This is what a ruler is meant to do. He's meant to look after the people that are under his care. He's meant to be a shepherd over them, not one taking advantage of them. And so this one who is to come will be righteous. He'll be for the Lord and he will shepherd his flock in the Lord's name. We see in uh, verse 4, in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God will be how he shepherds the people. And so therefore, what does that mean for the people of God? It means that they will have a leader who brings peace. Remember the problem with the leaders of Israel before now? They have brought peace war and pain for the people. They've chopped them up like meat for the pan, for the pot. And so this one, this leader, he will be different. Why? Because he'll bring peace. And we see that in verse 4 as well. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. This ruler will be far greater than the rulers before because he will be strong, he'll be righteous, and he will bring peace. He will be their peace. And how extensive is the peace that he will bring? It will go to the ends of the earth, Micah says. It is an extensive peace. And we understand, as we look at the rest of Scripture, that it is a peace that lasts for eternity. It is an eternal peace. 
So who is this ruler that Micah is talking about here? Well, of course, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see this is clearly taught in Scripture, particularly by the Messianic interpretation that is taken on by the Jews and shown in the New Testament. We had that passage read for us before from Matthew chapter 2, when King Herod is asking, where is the one who is to be born king of the Jews? And the answer is very quickly given that the prophet has told us, which is that prophet? That's Micah, the, um, the prophet that we've been studying. And we see quoted in Matthew chapter 2, verse 4 to 6, we, we see uh, that Micah's prophecy is quoted there. We read, When he, that is Herod, had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. We see that it is the Lord Jesus that this prophecy is applied to in the New Testament. But is Jesus a strong ruler? Remember, this is what we're looking for. We're looking for a ruler who will be strong. And the answer is yes. His strength is shown again and again in the New Testament. I mean, the epitome of his great strength is the miraculous wonders that he could do, the powers that flowed from him so that he was able to do great miracles. And, of course, the greatest of miracles of all were he was raised from the dead. He laid down his life but took it up again. And then you see his strength, his power, in the way that he debates with people. One of the great marks of a strong leader is the way they can take on a hostile audience, a hostile press. And we see there in the New Testament, Jesus can stand up to the opposition. He can answer their questions with great power, with great wisdom. But would this ruler, this Messiah, the Lord Jesus, would he... Is he a righteous ruler? Well, the answer is yes. He is strong, he does miracles, but he also does the work of God. He is for God. He lives for God's name. And we see that again and again in the New Testament as well, if you read through the Gospels. And Jesus can actually say to people, can you prove me guilty of sin? Which is what he says in John 8, verse 46. He opens it up to anyone. Prove me guilty of sin. Who can do that? Certainly couldn't do that in my home with my kids and my wife say, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? Let's quickly be able to point out sins to me. I'm sure many of you could also prove me guilty of sins, mistakes that I've made, ways that I've treated you. But Jesus, he can say it to a crowd of people, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? And then we see his, his trial. What do we see declared by Pilate? This man is innocent. He can't find any charge against him. And we also see that in the mock trial, really, it's not a decent trial at all, with the, the religious leaders, they try again and again to pin something on him, and they cannot. The only thing they can pin on him is the fact that he declares that he is the Son of God, that he's the Messiah, which is not blasphemy if it's true. Is Jesus righteous? Is he the righteous ruler that is prophesied in Micah chapter 5? The answer is yes, of course he is. So we understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy, that he is the one who is strong, he is righteous, and he also therefore brings peace. If you've got a strong leader, you've got a righteous leader, then what follows? We see peace in Micah chapter 5 is meant to come from this leader. Does Jesus bring peace? 
Well, yes, he brings peace with us and God. He brings reconciliation by his atoning work at the cross, by dying the death that we deserve if we trust in him. We have peace with God and also peace with our fellow man. He promotes love between one another as we have been forgiven much so we can forgive one another much. And so there's a peace that comes through this ruler to us. And of course, we look forward to that time in heaven where there will be no more war at all. There'll be no more anger. There'll be no more fighting. There'll be no gossip, slander against one another because of the peace that we have through Jesus Christ that goes to the ends of the earth. So this is wonderful news for the Jews. Think of them. They're in times of siege. There are armies coming down and brutal armies. If you want to read about the Assyrians and what they used to do to their enemies, it's gripping reading. It's awful reading what they used to do to people. The Israelites know of this. They know this army is coming down that has conquered even towns within Judea, let alone Israel, which is wiped out in Samaria. And so they hear this message from Micah. And it's wonderful news that there's this leader that is coming. And it's wonderful news for us today as well, isn't it? It's wonderful news for us to hear that there's a ruler who is strong, who is righteous, and who brings peace. Why? Because we're often disgusted with our rulers in this world, even here in Australia. We're disgusted with our rulers, with our politicians, with our bureaucrats who are over us, with our police force who may be taking advantage. Why are we disgusted? Well, for the same reasons that Micah was disgusted with the leadership so long ago in Israel. We often see our politicians as weak, like the ancient rulers of Israel. Weak in the face of powerful lobby groups. They seem to turn over, roll over for anyone that is powerful in the community. We see them weak in the face of powerful nations. Powerful nations can take them to task trading limits on them and they don't seem to be able to do anything to resist it. And even in, our, in the history of our nation, we've seen war break out and our nation is weak in its response. And of course, we've seen most recently the weakness of our leaders in the face of medical problems, we see it in the pandemic. And so we look at our leaders and we can be disgusted with them at their weakness that they show. But we're also disgusted with our leaders because... They're not righteous, as we'd like to see. Remember, that's one of the problems of the leaders of Judah at the time of Micah, was that they were not righteous. And we look at our politicians, and we're often disgusted because of the way that they behave unrighteously and the use of the resources that are there. They're often feathering their own nests, using the money that they take from taxes to make themselves rich. And so, of course, we have anti-corruption bodies. Why are they needed? Because... Our politicians are not righteous, as they should be. And, of course, they're unrighteous in the use of information. They hide facts, they exaggerate, they put a spin on things, they do not answer questions properly, and it's all to keep up appearance that they are people that should be voted for, that they are righteous and good, but it's the way they've withheld information or put out false information. And so we get disgusted with them. And, of course, when they don't keep their promises... It's yet another example of unrighteousness. And so we're disgusted with our leaders so often. And we're also disgusted with them because they therefore do not bring peace. As they show such weakness, they show unrighteousness in the way that they live, we see that they do not bring peace, that the sheep of this nation are often scared. When I say sheep, I mean people. They're often scared, living in fear, and they're often taken advantage of and destroyed rather than protected by the leaders of this nation. 
I mean, we live in one of the best nations of the world. I'm happy to be in Australia. I'm very thankful to the Lord very often to be in Australia. But you can't say that we are a people who have peace all the time and are completely happy with the leaders of this nation. And particularly at this time during the pandemic, we see more and more people unhappy with our leaders for whatever reason it may be. And so what do we long for? What do we long for? We long for someone who understands us and who fights for the common man. Isn't that what we desire? We want someone who is righteous, who is powerful and who brings peace. And so when we hear about the Lord Jesus, we are excited to hear about this leader who is righteous and who is powerful and who brings peace. Now, why is Jesus the perfect ruler? Why is he powerful? Why is he righteous? Why does he bring peace? Well, one of the main reasons is that he is God himself. We saw that hinted at in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that his origins would be from of old, from ancient times. Of course, we see in other parts of the New Testament clear declarations of his divinity. But Micah also, I believe, emphasizes here the humility and the humanity of Christ Jesus, which makes him the great ruler that we desire. And we see that by the way that he tells us that the Messiah, this ruler, would come from Bethlehem, Ephrathah. We have to be careful not to elevate Christ's divinity at the expense of his humanity. We've got to hold both together because with his divinity and with his humanity, he makes the perfect ruler, the perfect ruler for us, the common man, the ruler who is powerful and righteous and brings peace. Why do we often despise our leaders, even here in Australia, where we are very, very blessed by God? Why do we despise them? Well, it's often because we feel that our leaders are raised and live in a bubble. They were raised and live in a bubble. What was the problem with kings in Micah's time? Well, the kings have been born in palaces, after palaces. Again and again, we see kings born in rich environments. They're born with a silver spoon in their mouth, literally, and therefore often born into corruption. As even in the holy city of Jerusalem, there was pagan worship going on there. And so they're born into that corruption. And it's similar today. Why do we despise our leaders here in Australia? Well, it's often because they're born in the upper classes of society. They're wealthy, and they've known luxury all their lives. They've often never had a real job. And if they went to university, they studied political science, or marketing, or law, all with a view to entering into politics. They've learned how to manipulate people for their own ends. They don't know what it means to have pay come and go with fluctuating markets. They've always been on the public payroll and they don't understand the pain that comes of having a lockdown because their pay keeps on coming. And they may not even know what it is to clean a house, to know what it is to be a common person and to fulfil the household duties of the home. And so what does that then mean? They just don't understand people. They don't understand people. And so therefore, what do they not do? They don't fight for the peace of the common person. They live in their little bubble and they make their rules and the common person gets disgusted because they seem to be out of touch with the common man. 
And so what do we crave? We crave someone who goes back to basics, who knows the basics. We, don't we prefer someone who comes from small beginnings, from a neighbourhood with good values, from the country maybe, from a small country town, who knows what it is to live in the country? Don't we crave someone who knows what it's like to work hard and to suffer like we do, who has been through suffering, may even be a war hero or has come through some sort of turmoil in another country and is now part of our nation and loves to be in Australia and wants to see the benefits that they've enjoyed in Australia continue as opposed to the suffering that they've experienced somewhere else. And why do we want this? Why do we crave someone who knows what it is to be in humble circumstances? It's so they can sympathise with us and give justice to everyone, not just to wealthy lobby groups. That's what we want. Now, isn't that what Micah is telling us about the Lord Jesus Christ when he speaks about his birthplace? That Jesus Christ will be a humble human. That the Messiah will know what it is to be a humble human. Many people want to burn down the joint. Defund the police is a very common catch cry we hear in different parts of the world. But God doesn't go that far. What's he doing by speaking about Bethlehem? He's saying, I'm not going to turf out the whole plant. I'm not going to get rid of the Jewish nation altogether. I'm not going to get rid of the people of God. I'm going to cut off the unfruitful part and go back to the stump. I'm going to go back to the stump. I'm going to go back to basics. Now, how does Bethlehem emphasize the Messiah's humble origins that we see here in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, when it's mentioned Bethlehem Ephrathah? Well, we know that Bethlehem wouldn't have been really known by the Jews. I mean, we know it so well because of, of course, Christmas and our love of the Lord Jesus' birth. And so we know when we hear Bethlehem, of course, we know that it's a city in Israel. But many Jews would have had to get out their maps when they hear in, Matthew chapter, uh, in Micah chapter 5, that it is Bethlehem Ephrathah where the ruler would come from. We would have had to say, where, where, where's that again? We know because, of course, we love the Lord Jesus. But if you were to throw out the name of many politicians, would you know their birthplace? And if they mentioned it, would you know where that is? They would have had to get it out. It's a humble place. And it's interesting that it's called Bethlehem Ephrathah. Why is that? Because Ephrathah is the district that Bethlehem was in. And why does he need to say Ephrathah? So that you know it's not another Bethlehem. It wasn't obvious to people where this ruler would come from. It had to be spelt out. It's going to be Bethlehem, Bethlehem Ephrathah, where this ruler would come from. And even in the text, it says that it's small. Verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah. That word small there. It's not just used for, in terms of quantity. It's used in other parts of Scripture to speak about quality. It's used to describe those who are weak and despised. Bethlehem, though you are weak and despised, out of you will come a ruler. And when we think about Bethlehem and what we know of it from the Old Testament, what do we know about that community? We think back to the book of Ruth. It was a farming community. We think of Boaz the great-grandfather of David. You think about his humble state and going out and being amongst his servants. And then you think about the king who was raised up there, King David, the rightful king of Israel. 
What was he? He was a shepherd. He was not born in a palace. He was a humble shepherd, a despised job by many people to be a shepherd, to live with animals. You know what it's like to live with animals? Well, I don't know that much, but I know enough about animals to know that it can be a very dirty environment to live with animals. The smells and the the germs that are around. But that's where that King David came from. Humble circumstances. And that's where this Messiah would come from. And so when we see the words Bethlehem Ephrathah there, and when we see the words small there, it's meant to remind us that this ruler wouldn't be like other rulers, these bad rulers. He would be a ruler who came from humble origins. Now, did Jesus have a humble life? Not just because he was born in Bethlehem. Yes, he wasn't born in Bethlehem. We see that in the New Testament. But we see from the beginning, he was born in humble circumstances. He was born in Bethlehem amongst animals and placed in a manger. And then what do we see about the Lord Jesus as we look through his life? Is this a common man, a man of humble origins? Yes. His mother was just a young girl whose husband was a carpenter, a tradesman. And then Jesus, he knew hard work. He knows hard work as a carpenter. He knows about slaves and masters and begging and taxes. Things sometimes leaders don't know much about taxes other than taking them. Jesus knew about taxes growing up in a humble neighbourhood. Jesus knew about money, market fluctuations, weights. He talks about loans and interest rates and investments and lost coins. He knows the disaster that it can be for someone to lose money in the home. He even uses that as an illustration in one of his parables. Jesus knows nature. He knows about fields and flowers and wild animals and catching birds, catching fish. Jesus knows about farming. He knows about barns. And he knows about lost animals. Another problem of animals, isn't it? They seem to go walk about. And it's a real pain. Jesus knows about lost animals. He speaks about lost animals. Jesus knows about houses, big and little houses. He knows about landlords. He knows about tenants. He knows about bad neighbourhoods. He knows about homelessness, personally. Jesus knows about home duties, about baking and lighting lamps and sweeping and untying sandals and washing people's dirty feet. I had one of my children last night point out to me that I used to be a podiatrist and said, oh, wasn't that a smelly job looking at people's feet? And I had to say, yes, it was at times. A lot of patients used to wash their feet before they came, but some smells you can't get rid of, particularly if it's an infected foot. Jesus knew what it was. Think of that. The leader of Israel, the king of Israel, knows what it is to wash someone's foot. Jesus knows about bodily weakness. He knows about exhaustion. He knows about being hungry. He knows about being thirsty. He knows about disabilities and infectious diseases and touching someone who actually is infectious. Think of leaders. How many leaders go up and touch those who are contagious? Jesus did. He knows about pain. Intense physical pain. He knows it personally. And he knows about temptation to sin. Jesus knows about thieves digging through walls. He knows about being slandered and lied to and hated. And Jesus knows about brutal governments. 
brutal governments that take away freedoms. Think of it. When he was born, he had to emigrate to Egypt. Don't know how old he was at the time, really, but he was a young infant. He was swept away to Egypt because a government was trying to kill him. Jesus knows these things. So we have to remember this and recognise that this is the perfect ruler that God promises. Yes, he is powerful. Yes, he is righteous. Yes, he is a peaceful ruler. Why? Because he's a divine ruler, but also because he's a fully human ruler, a human of humble origins and a humble life. And so Christ, Christ, he is not ashamed to call the lowest of the low in this world a brother. We read that in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. Think of the leaders of this world. How many of them want to be called and call you their brother? Jesus does. The king of kings wants to call you his brother. He's a ruler who understands our weaknesses, therefore, as well, doesn't he? We read that in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 as well. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. He understands whatever weakness we are feeling and whatever temptation to sin we are feeling, he knows it. Even though he is king of kings and lord of lords. So don't you want Jesus as your ruler? Or are you still looking for a leader instead of Christ? A state premier to understand what you're going through? Or a prime minister to understand or a medical officer to understand what you're going through. Or a president of another nation to come in and save Australia from whatever problem you may be experiencing. Or maybe you're looking to yourself to be the leader of your life, the ultimate leader of your life. Really, you will fail. You will fail. You are not God. You cannot do a better job than Jesus Christ. And you recognise that yourself as well, that you're not powerful, you're not righteous as you should be, and you do not bring peace to your life. You think you could do a better job than the Prime Minister of Australia? Would you really want his job? You think you can do it better? You, who like to criticise it, or any other ruler in this world, do you think you could do a better job? No. The answer is no. Why? Because we are weak and sinful creatures. And so, of course, we cannot bring the peace that our heart craves. So I encourage you all, swear allegiance to Christ Jesus today. He's powerful. He's righteous. He's the one who brings peace. Because he's God and human. Jesus will help you by the Holy Spirit to live securely in this world if you will trust in him. You will live securely even with dodgy rulers who are over you, whether they be in Australia or another part of the world. You'll be able to know a security because you'll have a peace in your heart. He will be your peace 
Micah says, and it's so true. He will be your peace now and for eternity. No matter what comes your way, you can know a peace because you know your ruler is on his throne and he understands you and whatever you're going through. How do you have Jesus as your king? Well, it's by coming to him and trusting. Trusting that Jesus Christ laid down his life for you. That he served you at the cross by taking your sin upon his shoulders and dying in your place. And so now accepts you into his family and is not ashamed to call you a brother because you belong to the same father. Now, for those of us who have Christ as king, I need to ask this morning, do we rejoice in Christ's humble humanity? We love to talk about Christ's divinity. But sometimes I think we can overemphasize his divinity at the expense of his humanity. Do we joyfully seek to meditate upon Christ's humanity and the implications of it? To think about what does it mean that he was human and live the life that he lived as human? Do we joyfully thank Jesus for taking on flesh and walking in our shoes to show his glory and to show how great a leader he is? Do we joyfully pray to Jesus for help, knowing that he understands whatever trial we're going through, whether it be a dirty house, whether it be a lost dog, whether it be failed investments, a robbed home. He understands what we're going through and we can go to him and ask for help in that situation. And do we joyfully serve Jesus because we know that he knows what it's like to serve? what it's like to serve, even more than any of us. I was speaking to a cafe owner who told me that a staff member said to her that she was the best boss ever. And she said, why? Why why do you think I'm the best boss ever? They said, because you get your hands dirty. You go over and you wipe down tables like I do. Whatever I do, I also see you doing it too. You're the best boss. You don't stand aloof and tell me what to do. No, you get your hands dirty as well. Think about it. Christ got his hands dirtier than anyone else in this entire world who's lived. He served in a way that no one else has ever served. He took on sin and went to the cross. Yes, he started serving by being in that manger, dirty environment from a young age, but then we see the epitome of it at the cross. He went around helping lots of people, but then we see at the cross, him taking sin, becoming sin at the cross. His hands didn't get dirty, they got bloody for the sake of his people. How can we not serve such a king with joy? How can we not serve such a king with joy? So let us rejoice in our king, who is strong, righteous, and brings peace. He is not like the rulers of Israel so long ago, and he's not like our rulers today. He is strong, he is righteous, and he brings peace. Why? Because he's fully God and fully human. And so let us keep going to him, particularly in a time in our nation where there seems to be a lot of dissatisfaction, 
You look at the media, you talk to people. So many of my conversations this week have been people talking about how they're dissatisfied with the leader for doing this or dissatisfied with the leader for not, for, for not doing what it is that they've done. It goes both ways. There's some people who are happy about this but not happy about that. Some people are happy about that but not happy about this. We're in a time where lots of people are dissatisfied with their leaders because we all crave a leader who is powerful, who is righteous and who brings peace. And where is that craving fulfilled? It's in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our king. And so when we're dissatisfied with our leaders here, where should you go? Well, you can write to your politicians. I do. I've done a lot of emails over the last few weeks. More than I've probably ever done in my lifetime. You can go to your politicians, but ultimately they are weak. They are unrighteous. They don't bring peace. They're just like me. I'm weak. I'm unrighteous. I don't bring peace to my own life. I make daft decisions all the time. Who should I go to? You should go to the Messiah. Go to Christ. I encourage you to do so too. Go to Christ. Here's our King. And we can go to him and find peace now. You can go to sleep at night, even with dissatisfaction of the leaders here, but close your eyes in peace because you know that your king is on his throne and everything will ultimately be okay because he is both God and man. He was born in Bethlehem, Ephrathah, so many years ago for your good and so you can rest in him. Let's come to him in prayer now. Let's speak to him. Lord Jesus, we come and we praise you as the powerful and righteous and peace-granting ruler that you are. You are both God and man, fully human, but fully divine. So Lord, we thank you for taking on humanity and understanding us in all our weaknesses. We ask that you would forgive us for relying on earthly rulers, for thinking that they are able to help us better than you. We come before you and ask that you would help us to joyfully remember your humanity, to meditate upon the implications of your humanity and the life that you lived, a life of poverty and sorrow. And so come to you more and serve you more as a result and enjoy the increasing peace we have as we come to you. We pray this in your name. Amen.